Well, good morning. That's good and loud, isn't it? I'm glad that you're here with us today. We are going to uh, look at a prophecy that Jacob read for us this morning. It was out of the book of Psalms, chapter 69, and that whole psalm is a, is a messianic prophecy. There are many, many things he talks about in that psalm. And the uh, topic that was assigned to me was that uh, Jesus was given sour wine or vinegar to drink, and that was a prophecy about the Messiah, that he would be given some sour wine or some vinegar to drink. And, you know, when I first saw the topic, Matt, thank you, uh, I looked at it and I said, sour wine, what kind of a sermon can you come up with about sour wine? But uh, as I began to read and study and think and meditate, I'd never really thought about that prophecy in particular. Uh, but there's a lot of fascinating things in Scripture, prophecy about Jesus and how that certain themes, as you read your Bible a lot, you'll notice that certain themes just run all through the Bible. They begin in Genesis and you see them in the histories and you see them in the prophets and then in the gospels and then the letters. And these themes just run all through the Bible, continuously tying it together as one book, as one story. There was a story that I ran across that I want to introduce our thoughts with today. And it's out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 47. And it's a, it's a story that I've read years ago, but I'd forgotten all about it. And it's a story that Ezekiel sees this vision. Now, Ezekiel, if you're familiar with him, he saw lots of visions and lots of strange, strange visions. And... One of the visions that he saw was talked about here in Ezekiel chapter 47. And he says that in this vision that he was taken to the temple. Now the temple was the center of Israel. It was the center of everything that happened in their religion. The, the very fundamental place that they believed God dwelt was in the temple. And the Scripture tells us here that Ezekiel said there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. Can you imagine showing up at church here this morning and water just pouring out from underneath the church building? I mean, just like a bunch of it. Going to the east, it would have to pour out and go back around the building to go to the east here. But I mean, he says he comes to the temple and at the threshold there was water just pouring out from underneath the temple. And this water, as it poured out, began small, but then it got larger and larger and larger, the amount of water that was coming out of it. He says he first was taken, and he walked in this water, and he says, the water came up to my ankles. And so Ezekiel goes out, and he's taken by this angel into this water, and he begins to walk in the water, and the water's up to his ankles. Have you ever walked in ankle-deep water? get your feet all wet, but you know, you can still manage your way around in, in water that's ankle deep, right? I mean, it's not going to control you unless it's really fast flowing water, it's going to be difficult, but, but that wasn't all that happened to Ezekiel, because the angel took him a thousand cubits further, and when he gets there, he says, the water came up to my waist. Now, by the time you get in water up to your waist, it's a job. 
to keep on your feet and to control where you're going to go. We've been to the ocean down at Galveston many times. You wade out this deep, it's not that big a deal. But you get out waist deep and it, it throws you around and moves you around with the waves. But that wasn't it. He went a thousand cubits further and he said it was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep. The water in which must, one must swim. He said after a little ways it got so deep that you couldn't cross it. It was a huge river. A river bigger than you could ever cross. And he was caught in this water. And the angel then tells him about this water and he says this is living water. It flows from the throne of God. And it flows down this river, and this river's going to run to the sea. And when it gets to the sea, this living water's going to heal everything in the sea. All the fish and all the animals that drink out of that water will be healed. And everywhere this water runs, there will be life, because it's the water of life. And he says the angel brought him back out, and he looked... And all along the banks of this river, when I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. You remember Psalmist David who told us about, well, he gave us Psalm 69 that Jacob read earlier. He said in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor stands in the or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In that law he meditates day and night. He shall be like, do you remember how it goes? A tree planted by the rivers of water. You know, there's passage after passage after passage. In fact, when I got here this morning, I took out eight slides because I had so many passages that talk about this living water. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when this river of water of life flowed out of the Garden of Eden and watered all the earth. Passage after passage which promises this fountain that would flow to Jerusalem into the world. Jesus talks about this living water. He met a woman in Samaria, and she was drawing water from a well, and Jesus told her, he said, I'm thirsty, get me something to drink. And she said, what are you talking to me for? She said, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And he talks to her then about water. Look what he says. He said, give me a drink. And he, she says, well, why are you asking me this? And he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Really? Yes, he said, this living water, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. So she's here every day. Now, if you want water, what do you do in your house? Well, you just go to the faucet and you turn it on, right? Or go to the refrigerator and stick your little glass in and out comes water. It wasn't that way for them. You wanted water, you had to walk to the well, take you a bucket or some kind of container, go all the way to the well, dip the water out and bring it back to the house. And she thought this idea of having some water you could drink that you'd never ever again get thirsty... That'd be pretty cool, right? I mean, I don't ever have to go down there to, anymore to get my water to get a drink. She says, I want some of that. 
And he says, well, I tell you what, you need to go call your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. And you all know the rest of the story, how that unfolded. But Jesus was talking to her about this water. And he said, this water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, Jesus wasn't talking about a physical cup of H2O, was he? He was talking about something that when you drink it, it's inside you and it becomes a fountain. A fountain of living water inside you. Do you remember in the Old Testament where Israel was out in the wilderness? And remember they were walking along and they didn't have water and they were mumbling and grumbling and complaining and griping. And God told Moses, He says, I want you to go strike this rock. And when you strike this rock, I'm going to bring water out of this rock. And that's what he did. Strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. How do you get water out of a rock? Well, you're God. That's the way you get water out of a rock. You're God. And he said, strike the rock and water will come out of that rock. And this rock and this water that came out of this rock actually is talked about all through the Bible, this living water. Look what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah talking to the people and talking to God about the people, he said, you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst. God is reliable. Now, the Apostle Paul talked about this very thing in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he says this about this rock and this water that came. He says, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That living water came from Jesus Christ. He is the one who was this living water. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself says as much when He says this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never go hungry, and he who believes in Me will never be thirsty. Now, I believe in Jesus Christ. You know that if you know me, right? You know I believe in Jesus. I talk about Jesus a lot. I teach about Jesus. I preach about I believe in Jesus. But I, I have a glass of water by the bed at night. Why? In case I get thirsty. <laughs> Doesn't this say if you believe in Jesus, you'll never be thirsty? Well, you see, he's obviously not talking about a physical glass of water. He's talking about something that's different than that. Something that's living water. Something that quenches a thirst that's not a physical thirst. But it's a different thirst. You know, they had many different feasts in the Old Testament. One of the feasts that the children of Israel always celebrated was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this feast, one of the things that was a part of their feast celebration, it was a week-long feast, one of the things that was a part of their celebration is every morning when they... When they uh, during the feast, every morning the priests would get up and they would go from the temple there in Jerusalem and they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would take a golden container, a golden bowl. And they would take this golden bowl down to the pool of Siloam and they would dip and they would get some water in that container, this solid gold container. And then as all the people would chant and they would chant and chant, uh, out of the book of Psalms, I understand, it was around 
chapter 113 or so what they chanted. And they would, all the people would gather around and they would be joyous and they would be chanting out of great joy and great excitement. And they would take that water and they would go back into the temple and they would take and they would pour out on one side of the temple this water. Just pour it out like that guy's pouring the water out in the picture up there. And on the other side, a priest would be pouring out wine. And this was a time of great joy. And they did it because of Isaiah 12, where he says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And what's fascinating to me about this story is they've got this water and they do this every day. And when Jesus was alive, they were doing this. When Jesus was in His ministry, they were doing this. And when Jesus was preaching in Nazareth and all these other places, every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, they did this. And when Jesus was about to be crucified, they did this. And for seven days, every morning, they would do this. But the eighth day was different. It was a full week, Sunday to, or Saturday to Saturday. And in that full week, the eighth day, on the eighth day, you know what they did? Nothing. The eighth day was a day of silence. They didn't go draw water from the well. And it's of this exact moment that the Scripture tell us that Jesus was in the temple on this eighth day of this Feast of Tabernacles. And when it was the time of day that they would have drawn the water and poured it out by the temple, Jesus stands and He says this, Anyone who is thirsty, come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus on that eighth day, when they would take that water and pour it out, said, you want to, something to drink? You want living water? Come to me. I have living water. And you drink this water, it will become wells of water, living water that will flow from within you. This happened just before Jesus was crucified. And when Jesus was crucified, the Bible tells us in John 19, the fulfillment of the prophecy of, uh, of Psalm 69. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of, full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit or his spirit. The very end of the life of Jesus, the last thing Jesus says before he says it's finished, is he says, I thirst. Now, I want to look at this very briefly. I want to look at a couple of things here. This is the Hebrew word for I thirst. It's one word. Jesus just said that one word, and that one word meant what you and I would say, I'm thirsty. That's the way we'd say it. We wouldn't say, I thirst. We would say, I'm thirsty. What was Jesus talking about here, and why did he say it, and what is the, the significance to us? I will tell you that I believe one of the greatest ironies that I know of in the Bible is that Jesus Christ, this living water, hangs on the cross and is dying of thirst. 
Isn't that an irony? An amazing thought that the living water, Jesus, the one who created the oceans, the one who created the rivers, the one that the clouds would gladly rain on to quench his thirst because he created them and all that is. And he hangs on the cross and he says, I thirst. Look at a couple of things here. Number one, after this, Jesus knowing all things were now accomplished. What does that mean? Jesus is hung on the cross. He said most of the things he's going to say on the cross. He's been hanging here about six hours now. And he says, knowing that all things had been accomplished. What had he accomplished? What had been accomplished? Well, just as a, a simple little example of that in the gospel not the gospel the psalm 69 that was read i just had jacob read 16 through 21 the entire psalm is full of prophecies of the messiah and did you know at this point they had all been fulfilled look at this these are things that had been fulfilled out of psalm 69 he was sunken deep in the mire he was hated without cause he'd borne reproach and shame he'd been a become a stranger to his brethren he'd become a proverb to revilers and he had cried in his distress to God Jesus knew at this stage in his life he had fulfilled every prophecy of the Messiah for his life except one every prophecy had been fulfilled except one you know what that prof that one prophecy was that they would give him sour wine. The next thing it says is that the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. The reason he said, I thirst, was what? He knew all the prophecies, but one had been fulfilled, and there was one yet to go. Jesus wasn't hanging there just thinking about how thirsty he was. He was hanging there thinking about fulfilling the prophecies of God for the Messiah. And that's why he said, I thirst. He said, I thirst, not that he wanted water. He said, I thirst to provoke them to grab that bowl of sour wine and put some on a reed, on a sponge, and to give it to him to wet his lips, to wet his tongue, to wet his throat so that the thing he was going to say next could be heard clearly by everyone who was listening. He says, For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That was a response. Now, you know, they had offered Jesus vinegar before this. They offered Jesus sour wine even before the crucifixion. But he turned it down. He rejected it. Now, my understanding from reading about the history is that there were a bunch of godly women in Jerusalem who would always, based on the passage in the Old Testament that says strong drink is for those who are about to die, they would take this sour wine and they would put drops of myrrh and frankincense in it, which would act as a painkiller of sorts. And they would always give that to the people who were going to be crucified. But Jesus said no. He turned it down. He wanted to be clear-headed. He wanted to be ready to understand and deal with everything he would need to face. But now that one prophecy 
needed to be fulfilled. And after he had taken all the brunt of the the anger of God's wrath on sin, after he had taken all the brunt of what Satan had to bring that day, he was now ready to fulfill that last prophecy. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. He took and drank. Now this wasn't, it was on a sponge. It wasn't a cup that he could glug a couple of swallows out of. It was on a sponge. It was something that he would just suck on. Just enough to give moistness to his lips and his tongue and his throat. There's another prophecy in the book of Psalms that talks about his tongue clinging to his jaw and how it would be dry and it would need moisture. Now, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. And bowing down his head, he gave up his spirit. The last thing he did is he received that that wine. And then he said, it's finished. And he hung his head and he died. Now, what are the lessons for you and I? What is the message? Why is this story in the Bible? Well, I want to tell you three things that I believe that you and I can get out of this. Number one, Jesus Christ was physically thirsty at that time. Jesus has been beaten. He's been up all night long. The last thing he had was at what we call the Last Supper when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that we take here today. Now, when you take the Lord's Supper, those of you who are Christians, who are old enough who've done this, you've taken the Lord's Supper, right? Have you ever gotten full from eating the Lord's Supper? Physically? Have you ever physically been, oh, man, I was so thirsty. That was great. Has that ever happened to you? No. Because the purpose of this is not to quench of physical thirst. That's the last time Jesus had had anything to eat or drink. And he's gone for hours and hours now. It's gone all night long. He's been in trials. He's not had any rest. He has wept and cried and and prayed to the Father so intently that he sweated so much his sweat was like blood. And he's been beaten. He's been beaten And he had a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he has been mocked. And he has been slapped. And his beating has ripped him open. And he's bled. And he's sweated. And he has now been hanging on a cross for six hours. And he's done everything God called him to do. It's all been intentional. It's all been purposeful. And he physically, his mouth is parched. Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and your mouth is so dry you just, you just can't, you got to go get a drink? Has that ever happened to you? Well, it was that times 10 to Jesus at this point. And I'd say, well, why would that be in the Bible? Why would the Bible talk about that? Number one, I believe that tells us and helps us know that Jesus was a man. The Bible says the Word was made flesh or became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was not to make, made to dwell in flesh. The Word was flesh. Jesus was a man. Now, you might think to you and I that's not that big a deal, but to them it was. They were the Gnostics. These were people who claimed that Jesus never came in the flesh. You know what they taught? They taught that Jesus didn't leave footprints when he walked. Because he wasn't a real man. It was just a pretend body. 
But the Bible says that Jesus had to take our suffering for us. He had to take the punishment of sin for you and I. And if He wasn't a man, He didn't suffer on the cross. And the fact that we know that He was thirsty informs you and I that Jesus Christ was a man. i tell you something else I get out of that. Is that Jesus Christ knew suffering. He understood what it was like to suffer. And because of that, Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, because he was in all points tempted like as you and I are. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to be dreadfully thirsty. He knew what it was like to be turned against, to be lied about, to be rejected. He knew what it was like to face everything you and I face. Many of you know that Carrie's had me on a diet. Okay? You know, one of the reasons I don't like dieting is because I get hungry. <laughs> and I don't like to be hungry. You ever get hungry and not like being hungry? That's why most of us are heavier than we should be, right? Because we like food and we don't like to be hungry. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what any kind of suffering that you can imagine that you will ever face. Jesus knows. We sing songs about that, don't we? Oh yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is filled with my grief. Jesus understands. And from that, I draw two lessons for you and I. Number one, I draw that He understands your suffering. Number two, and this is really important, I believe, I draw that suffering does not mean that we're outside the will of God. You know, a lot of these TV preachers and health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, what they preach is God loves you, and if you're serving Him, He's going to make you rich, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And the truth is, Jesus was suffering dreadfully, and Jesus was right in the midst of the will of God when this happened. All of the apostles suffered terribly, and they were in the midst of the will of God. And you need to know that you may do everything right, and you may answer any situation exactly the way God wants you to, and you still suffer. That may happen. You may still lose your child. You may still get a disease. You may still lose your job and suffer. You may save up all your money for your retirement and then it's all gone and someone steals it. That may happen to you. That doesn't mean you're not in the will of God. And it doesn't mean that God is not on your side. And it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. You see, God's promise of reward is not in this life. God promised in this life we would have all the trouble that everyone else has, and on top of that, we'd have persecution. Don't think because you suffer that God doesn't care or God doesn't understand. He does understand, and He does care. Jesus went through. And sometimes going the way God leads you to go is taking you right into the teeth of suffering. Sometimes that's the truth. But it's not a bad thing. It may be a painful thing. But it's not a bad thing because ultimately what suffering does is purifies us. And it makes us more like the Son of the living God who we will spend all eternity with when we have our eternal reward after we cross the finish line, which is death. The second thing is His soul was thirsty. Not just His body, but His soul 
He had a drive. He had a desire. He had a purpose. Something that his soul longed for that he was thirsty for. You know what that was? Jesus said, I come to do thy will, O God. That's why he came. Jesus came to do the will of God. You know, the Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Did you know that all this stuff that happened to Jesus, he wasn't a victim in the helpless sense of the word? We talk about victims and we talk about victim mentality and generally people who have a victim mentality is, oh, it's not my fault. People are just picking on me and treating me bad and I'm offended. That's, that's not the way Jesus was. Jesus was in control of everything that happened. Jesus allowed the apostles to sleep in the garden. Jesus allowed Judas to betray him. Jesus allowed the soldiers to arrest him. Jesus allowed the Pharisees to put Him on trial. Jesus allowed Pilate to condemn Him. Jesus allowed the Romans to beat Him and to abuse Him and to nail Him to a cross. Jesus allowed those things. Peter pulled out a sword to fight. And Jesus said, put it away. Jesus was in control. When He was in the garden, He knelt down and He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me or take this cup from me. But He ended that prayer with this, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And the will of the Father was done. Jesus said to Peter, Do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? They didn't take Jesus and kill Him. Jesus allowed that to happen. Jesus was in control. He was always in control of everything that happened in this situation. Jesus had control. And you know what he, why He allowed this to happen? Because He came to do the will of the Father. That's why He came. He came to do the will of the Father he wasn't a helpless person, but it says, how then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen? If Peter was allowed to use a sword and deliver Jesus, how could he get away? His soul was thirsty, and he suffered to fulfill God's Word, God's will. Are you willing to suffer to fulfill God's will? Have you ever had to suffer to fulfill God's will? You ever had to give up a relationship that was so precious to you, but you needed to to fulfill God's will? You ever had to give up something that you loved, a habit or a pattern or something in your life that you enjoyed, that you really, really loved, but you had to give it up for Jesus? Ever had to give up a comfort? Something that wasn't necessarily wrong, but you had to give it up to do the will of God? Yancey just went to Nigeria. He didn't say a lot about it before he went, but I know he was nervous. He was afraid to do that. You know why he was afraid? Because he might not come back, <laughs> right? And he was scared about that. But he was willing to do that because he believed it would serve a greater good in serving the will of God. Are you willing are you willing to take those risks and suffer for the will of God? That's what Jesus was doing. The last thing I want to mention is this. His spirit was thirsty. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. Jesus 
spoke of spiritual thirst constantly through the Bible. In fact, in the book of John, five different times, Jesus speaks of thirst. And every single time, it's spiritual thirst. It's never physical thirst. And that makes me believe that this time when he said, I thirst, he was really primarily talking about a spiritual thirst. With the woman on the well, Jesus said, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That was spiritual thirst, wasn't it? It wasn't a physical thirst there. In John chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who he, he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's spiritual thirst, not physical thirst. John 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Is that physical thirst? No, that's spiritual thirst. You see, Jesus had a spiritual thirst that he was seeking fulfillment of. Jesus, he was no ordinary Galilean rabbi. He wasn't an ordinary guy. Jesus had been alive since all eternity. And you know who he had been with since all eternity? He'd been with the Father. Since all eternity, he'd been with the Father. He'd never been separated from his Father, ever. He'd been with Him all the time. Even here on earth, He had continual, intimate communion with the Father. You would find Him going out into the wilderness by Himself. You would find Him talking and God speaking from heaven to Him and Him speaking to God just at a moment's notice because He was in constant communion with His God. He had never been separated from His God until now. And now as He hangs on the cross at the end of all this suffering, God, the Bible says, was separated from Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus took His sin, our sins on Him, the sins separate us from God. And when He took your sin and my sin, that separated Him from His Father, prompting Him to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in eternity, he was separated from his God. Do you think there was not a yearning, a cry, a desire, a thirst for him to be reunited with his Father? You ever miss someone so bad you can just taste it? And that's God and His Son Jesus at this moment. He's separated from His Father for the first time. And He cries out, I thirst! Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My body longs for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He said, I'm just like in the desert and I need a drink. I need God that bad. That's how bad I need my Father. And he thirsted and he cried for that. And I believe that the greatest message of this is that he did this. He tasted this thirst for you and me. Because God created us in His image. We all have a desire, a thirst for something greater. We all know there's something more than just this life, don't we? We know that. 
We know there's something out there that will fulfill us instead of leave us empty. The woman at the well tried to fill it with men. And Jesus told her, I'm the only man you need and not in the way you've been looking for men. I'm the man with living water. People try to fill it with alcohol and with drugs and with sex and with power and with fame and with money. And nothing fills it. And Jesus in John 12 told His disciples this. He said, Now my heart is troubled. And, you, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. He said, My heart is troubled. You know what He was troubled about? He's contemplating His death. He's contemplating taking the sin of the world on Himself. And He's troubled. It's going to separate Him from His Father. He's troubled by that. And you know what he says to these very same people two chapters later? He says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know why you don't need to be troubled? It's the same word, troubled. You know why you don't need to be troubled? Because he was troubled for you. That's why. He thirsted for you. And he thirsted for me. He was separated from God and had that crying desire to be reunited with God so you wouldn't have to in all eternity. You know, Jesus told a story of Lazarus and a rich man. And when the rich man died, separated from God, you know how he described his torment? He said he was in flames and he begged for a beggar that was covered with sores to dip the tip of his finger in water and touch his tongue. Because he was tormented in that flame. You don't want to be separated from God eternally. And so the last part of this message, in Revelation, he says in describing this eternity with God, he says, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. You remember Ezekiel seeing the water coming from the throne of God? That's exactly what Revelation is talking for. So he suffered thirst for your place, in your place, a thirst for the Father. Do you experience that living water in him? Do you have that? Do you have that living water welling up inside you? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You should thirst for righteousness. You should thirst for the Father. But you should thirst with a thirst that's fulfilled with the water of God. Isaiah prophesying says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And Jesus in Revelation says, Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. I want you to know you can trust God. You can trust Jesus. You can depend on Him. He was a man, but He was a man who was God. And He was a man who suffered, and He knows your sufferings, and He will never abandon you. He was a man who thirsted to fulfill the will of God. And He's put that in you as a Christian to fulfill the will of God, no matter what the cost, no matter what the suffering. That's what He's called you to do. And he's a man who suffered, longed, and thirsted to be with his Father. And he provided for you a way that you can be with the Father. Through believing in him, surrendering your life to him, and coming as Ezekiel did, and swimming in that river of living water that will lead you to eternity 
in God with heaven. If you're not right with God, today you have that chance. You may just be one walking around with your ankles in the water. I suspect that may be some of us here today. The waters of God are around. We kick it. We dip our toes in it. We walk around. We don't want to get completely away from it. We like to swish the water with our feet. But we don't want it to affect us too much. You may be somebody who's waist deep in it. And you say, you know, I'm going to get out here and I'm going to get in it. And I'm going to be involved. What you need to be is somebody who's swimming in it. Somebody who's just covered up with it. Someone that lets the river control you instead of you controlling you in the river. Turn to the river of living water in Jesus. If there's any way we can assist you, we offer an invitation while we stand and sing.